This is the Dafyomi Masechta Review, Masechta Ksubis, tape number 5. For subscription information, call us toll-free at 1-888-DAFYOMI or write Dafyomi Tapes, P.O. Box 831, Muncie, New York, 10952. This tape is dedicated in memory of Moshe ben Yona Philipson, Zichrono Lavracha. Our Magad Shir is Rabbi Yossi Heber. This is the final Masechta Ksubis tape. It begins at the beginning of the 11th parak, Almana Nizainis, which is to be found at the bottom of Datsadik He Amid Beis. And the Mishnah says, An Almana is supported by the Nechassim, which were inherited by the children, i.e. the estate. In exchange for this, she must give them her Maisei Yadayim. However, they are not Mechuyev to pay for her funeral. Instead, her relatives, who inherit her estate, pay for this. And the Gemara says, depending on the girsa in the Mishnah, either the Yusayimim may either be obligated to support her, which is what the Anshe Gaul said, or at least pay her the Ksuba, which is what the Anshe Yehuda said. Although Metzius that the wife finds will belong to the husband, we say this is Mishum Eva because of ill feelings, Metzius that are found by an Almana belong to her and not to the Yusayimim, since there is no Eva which could ruin Shalom Bayis in regard to the Yusayimim. Rabbi Yaisi Rabbi Yehuda says, All malachas that a wife normally does for a husband, she does for the assignment, cooking, cleaning, etc. Except mezigas hakais, hatsoas hamita, and rechitzas panav veraglov, since these were all created mishum chiba, in order to create love between husband and wife. And again, that doesn't apply here because these are yusaymim who relate to the almana, not to the husband. Also, all malachas that an evid does for his master, a talmud does for his rabbi, except he doesn't move his Rebbe's shoes. In fact, anyone who stops his Talmud from doing these types of services, it's as if he is holding him back from doing chesed, and this will diminish the Yerushamayim from that particular Talmud. An Amana who grabs metaltolin in lieu of Mezainus from the estate, whatever she took will belong to her, and we cannot take it back. Interesting to point out, today, a woman, when collecting ksuba, can take from either karka or metaltolin. As we learn in Evan Ha'ezer, Simen Tzadik Gimel Sif Chof. And Mezainus can also come from either Karka or from Metaltalan Lechatchila. If an Almana waits two years to ask for Mezainus, she'll lose her rights to back payments, although she can always request future payments. If the Yusayimim say they gave her Mezainus, and she claims they didn't, so as long as she didn't get remarried, she's the Muchsuk, and the burden of proof is on the Yusayimim. We say, HaMotzi Mechavero, Olav Haraya. However, once she remarries, the burden of proof is on her to prove that they didn't give her Mzainus. Rashi mentions, since they used to regularly quote all the Mishnayis in the base Medrash, every Amira knew every Mishnah Balpeh. Masha'en Kain, they didn't necessarily know all of the Brises Balpeh. Tafzadik Zion. She can take a parcel of land from the estate and sell it in order to be Mepharnas herself for a year or six months, and the buyer pays her in monthly installments. We paskin that we allow her to sell enough land for six months of sustenance, and then she can repeat this process every six months. If the Almana sells a field for the purpose of getting Mazinus, if that field gets taken away, the Achrayas falls on the assignment to make good on it to the Lekech. It's not the Almana's responsibility. If a person sells a field in order to raise money to purchase something else, and then he realizes he didn't need the money, then it's a question if this is called a Mekachtos, and if he can invalidate the original sale. If Lechatchila, however, he makes a verbal tonight, then he can invalidate the sale. We paskin that Zavan 
If one sells for a certain purpose and that purpose disappears, he can invalidate the sale and the land must be returned. The Mishnah. A woman who becomes an almana after Nisuin or after Arison can sell land for the purpose of Mizainus. However, if she's an almana Minha Arison, according to Rip Shimon, she can only sell with the help of Bezdan. The Gemara says, why after Arison, according to the Tanakama, doesn't she have to go to Bezdan? The Gemara answers, Mishum Chain. So people will have a favorable view of her, and it'll be easy for her to remarry. Or, so as not to embarrass her by having to force her to go to Bezdan. However, a grusha must always sell land via a bezdan. The next Mishnah. A woman who sells part of her ksuba, she cannot sell the remainder of her ksuba except with the help of a bezdan. A grusha can only sell a ksuba with a bezdan. And the Gemara says, Our Mishnah goes according to Reb Shimon, and he holds, we don't say, mixes kesef, kekol ha-kesef. Rameir holds that a besula, even if most of her besulim are missing, as long as she has some of the besulim, she's still considered a, a besula to marry a kain gadol. The Gemara asks, do we say mixes kesef ke kesef or not? Meaning, if part of the ksuba was already paid by the estate, or the isha already sold part of the ksuba, so is there still a chiv on the estate to continue giving her mezainus or not? The Gemara answers, it's a machlekes, but we paskin that you must continue to feed her. If an almana sells part of the estate without the help of Bezdin, does she need to make a shvua or not? Also, does she have to make a hachraza before selling it, i.e. to announce that it's on sale, as to attract the top bidder? The Gemara answers, we paskin that she needs a shvua, but she does not need to make a hachraza. The Mishnah. An almana was supposed to get 200 for a ksuba, and she sold a field from the estate for 100, or she sold a field worth 200 for 100. So she is considered like she was makabal her entire ksuba, and the estate owes her nothing. If she sells a part of the estate that didn't belong to her, then the, we say that the machira is batal. And the Gemara says, if she sells a field worth 200 for 100, she loses, since she, did, she shouldn't have been so foolish to do that in the first place. The Gemara says, if Ruvain sell, sends Shimon to the market with $200 to purchase a $200 item, but Shimon negotiates the deal for $150, we say hakol lebal hamois. Ruvain, the mishalech, gets to pocket the profit, not Shimon. However, Rav Papa says lahalacha, it's a dover sheeshla kitzva. It has a set price. Then we say cholkin. They have to split the profit. Only if it's a dover sheeshla kitzva, that's something that has no set price, do we say hakol lebal hamois. That the person who actually sent, the person who was actually doing the sending, the baal, receives all the extra incremental profit that Shimon negotiated. Taisus asks. What if Ruvain sends Shimon to get something from a guy, and the guy makes a mistake and gives Shimon too much money? Who gets to keep the profitable windfall? Rabbeinu Tam says, Chalkin, they have to split it. Rabbeinu Tam later on says, Hakol Labal Hamos, that the person who sent him gets to keep the profit. And the Ri says, Hakol Lishliach. The Shliach is the one who lucked out, so he's the one that gets to keep the extra profit. The Gemara asks, What if Ruvain tells the Shliach, Shimon, sell one field, but he ends up selling two fields? Do we say that the first one is sold, or neither are sold, since he didn't do the job of the shlichas at all? And so the mishalach can get the land back from the lekech. That's a machlekes. What if a woman had a ksuba worth 100, and she sells a piece of land from the estate, and she sells it at 101? The Gemara answer is the entire sale would be bottle, since she only sold the land for 100, and caused the assignment a loss.
If a mishaleach tells a shliach to sell a base car of land, and the shliach sells only a half of a base car, so is the sale valid or not? Do we say that he was Maisif al and it's good? Or do we say he was Mamayat and it's no good? Rashi explains that a person's nature is to get upset when a shliach doesn't do exactly what he's supposed to do. What about if the shliach doesn't listen to the mishaleach and accidentally buys something that's hectish? So who is Iver on Meila? The Gemara then asks if the shliach sells land at less than market value, why should it matter? We say, regardless of the price, the sale is always valid. So it should be a valid sale. Gemara answers, this is true only if a person does it himself, but not if a shliach does it in a way that hurts the mishaleach. Since the mishaleach could say, I appointed you to help me, but not to hurt me. The Gemara says, if someone tells the shliach to take off truma, the shliach should take it off according to the das of the balabais. He knows what the balabais basically wants and what type of a person the balabais is. If he feels the balabais is generous, then he should take off the maximum shear for truma, 140th. If he feels the balabais is a typical person, he should take off the shear bainanis, which is 150th. But if he feels the balabais is a stingy person, he should take off the minimum shear, which is 160th. If he doesn't know, he should take 150th. But if he took 140th or 160th, then it's also good. Lahalacha, the Machaber Paskins, that if a shliach does not do the shlichus correctly, we say, uki ara lecheskes marekama, that it goes back to the original owner. But by the case of the almana selling land incorrectly, her mechira will be valid since there's no genuine cheskes marekama, since it's an estate that belongs to both the Yusayimim and to her. The Mishnah. The Dayanim of a Bezdin, if they for the almana misestimate the value of the land, by more or less than one-sixth of the market value, the sale is bato. According to Reb Shimon ben Gamliel, it's good anyway. Since we say, What good is a whole bezdin if, as soon as they do something not exactly right, we battle, we, we, we say the whole sale is bato. But if they made a bikaris, a hachraza, for people to come and see it, then all agree that if it sells for a price that's way off of the market value, then the sale is good because at least they made the hachraza and it was at least destined to get some sort of a market value which might potentially be fair. Dafkuf. What is a shliach analogous to? Rava says, a shliach is like Diana, who made a mistake, so up to one-sixth is okay. Rav Shmuel Barbisna says that a shliach is like an almana who made a mistake, therefore it's batal. The Gemara answers, a shliach is like a yachid, like an almana, not like a rabim, not like a bezdin. So if there's any mistake at all, the sale is considered bato. If Yusayimim come to divide their inheritance, bezdin designates an apitrapas for each of the Yusayimim. This is if they're katanim. And Reb Nachman says, once they get older, they cannot complain about their portion, since otherwise, makayach bezdin yafa. Of course, bezdin appointed these apitrapasin. And so if later on they could change everything, or they could say, I didn't like what was divided for me, then it's like, it's like sort of throwing, you know, saying Bezdin is not really good. Bezdin doesn't really know what they're doing and they have no power at all. Unless, of course, the Dayanim made a mistake. Then the Katanim can come along when they become Gudayim later and say, you know, they made a mistake here. This wasn't fair to me. And then they can reevaluate the situation. Also, if a Dayan makes a mistake on a Beferusha Halacha when Paskening in general, then they should relook at the case. Then we don't say Makayach Bezdin Yafa because there was a mistake actually made. The Gemara says, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, we ask, how much latitude do we give Bezdin if they made a mistake? And that we uphold their psak and we say, Makayach Bezdin Yafa. In other words, how far can they go that we still say, Makayach Bezdin Yafa, and therefore we don't invalidate their psak? 
but when they cross a certain line, we have to invalidate it because if it was a gross error, we have to retake a look at it. Where does this line get drawn? Our answer is up to a half or one and a half. That's the line. In other words, if the mistake was more than 50% down or 50% up, then we can reevaluate the case. But if it was anywhere within that range, then we say, and what stands, stands. However, if Bezdin does not make a hachraza, then we say the sale is bottle. The Gemara says certain things require a hachraza and certain things don't. What does not require a hachraza? The sale of avadim, because we're afraid the Eved, if he hears about this hachraza, he'll run away. Or shtaris or metaltal in contracts, because someone will steal due to the publicity of these things going on. We also don't make a hachraza for money to Yusayimim for government taxes, food, and kfura. But in Harda, they never made hachrazas at all since if people would buy a vayahachrozes, they would be labeled as people who take advantage of other people's misfortunes. It's sort of similar that uh, today, if let's say a house, somebody forecloses, somebody loses a house because of a foreclosure, and then someone goes to the bank and offers to, to buy it at a distressed price. So it has the appearance that the person is getting a bargain, but they're taking advantage of the fact that someone else lost a house due to a foreclosure. Same concept here. The rush concludes this suga, by saying that when dealing with the property of Yusayimim, one should only do it on the advice of a Bezdin and not on his own. Since if there's an Aynas, if he did it by himself, he will be personally responsible. The Mishnah. A girl who was married off as a Ketana and then did Miyun when she turned 12 years old, i.e. she refused to stay with the husband, which she has the right to do when she's 12, she doesn't receive a Ksuba since she left on her own. Also, a Shnia or an Aylanis receive no Ksuba. An island is one who cannot have children, therefore the whole, the whole transaction was considered a mekachtos. And they also don't receive mezainus, and the husband doesn't have a chiv of perkaina to redeem her if she becomes captured. However, an almana l'kain gadol, a grusha v'chalutza l'kain hedyot, or a mamzeras unasinu l'yisrael, they do get a ksuba due to knas. Dav A mima'enes gets no ksuba because the mion makes it like the kedushin wasn't chal l'mafreya. Also, she is mutu to marry her relatives, and vice versa, they are mutu to marry her. But it's basically a machlekes Rav and Shmuel if a mima'enes has a din of Isha, a wife, or not. This machlekes will have implications not only for Ksuba, but for Afaris Nadarim, if a person is allowed to do that for his wife, and if a Kayan can be Matama for her. Obviously, if they're not really married, then a Kayan cannot be Matama for her. The Gemara says if she brings in Blois, used clothing as Nichsemelug, she has no Zchus in them. When we say in the Mishnah that she has no ksuba, according to Shmuel, that's only on the 100 to 200, the basic part of the ksuba, 100 to a regular basula or 200 to an almana. But anytime we're dealing with Taisefis ksuba, anything that was written above and beyond the mana or masayim, then he would be mechuyev to pay. We should point out that a woman who is over anisurim, or who makes nadarim and doesn't keep them, then they can deny her even the 100, 200 of the ksuba. And finally, Rav Huna says an islandist for certain halachas is a wife, i.e. if he knew about it, so then he's chayev in ksuba, but sometimes not. If he didn't know about it, then he's pater for ksuba. But an almanolakai gadol is always considered a wife, and he's always chayev in ksuba, even if he did not know. And even if you could say technically it was a mechachtos, still he's chayev in ksuba. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the same halacha applies to both, even an almanolakai gadol, if like hikirba, if he didn't know it, that she had this issue, then we always say that he's pater from ksuba. This marks the end of this parak. Now let's begin parak Yud Beis Hanaisei Es Haisha, the Mishnah. If a woman remarried and she made a tanai with the new husband that he must support her daughter from the first marriage, 
marriage number one. In other words, she had a daughter from the first marriage, and he make, she makes a deal now with this husband number two that he has to support this daughter for five years. So he must support her for five years. What if after one year she divorced him and married someone else, i.e. husband number three, and she made a five-year tanai with him also? So husband number two is still high enough to complete the five-year child support deal. Lamaisa, she can choose one support or the other, not both of them. However, if the daughter herself marries in the middle of all this, then her new husband becomes mechuyiv to feed her. In other words, what the Mishnah is basically saying is there's no double dipping. They can't get money from both of them. Gemara. If a person says to his friend, I'm mechuyiv to give you a mana, according to Rabbi Yechanan, he's chayiv. According to Reish Lakish, he's putter, since he was probably just joking around. Rashi learns that this isn't a new chayiv, but rather he's mighted to his friend on an old chayiv. But according to Rabbeinu Tam, it's considered a new chiv. If someone agrees to give a kayan five slam, and there was a shtar written, then he's mechuyev to give it to him. And these five slam will not count towards the payment for pidyan haben, since people will come to think that you could do pidyan haben with a shtar. And we know pidyan haben is usher with a shtar. Pidyan haben is only mutter with kesef or shava kesef. Rabbi Yishmael says if a shtar is completed and Adim sign it, and then an Arev, a guarantor, signs under the Edim's signature, they can only take Chayvis from the Nechassim B'nei Chayrem of the Arev, not Nechassim Mishubadim of the Arev, because since the Arev's signature is under the Edim's signature, so it's like a Milva Alpeh. Benana says that they can't collect anything from the guarantor, since the Arev really didn't sign it under serious conditions, i.e. with Edim seeing this take place. The Gemara says if the father of the Chassim and the father of the Kala verbally agree to their contributions, each of their contributions to the wedding, and the chiyav will be locked in. Since we say this is one of the things, hein hein hadvarim haniknin ba'amira. These are one of the things that can be kind of, that the deal can be struck just in terms of talking to one another, and then it's considered a deal. One cannot write shtare erisin or shtare nesuin, shtare nesuin are, are the ksubis, without the consent of both parties. If you do, the kedushin is not chal. We say, although if a man dies, the brothers may be responsible to give her mezainus, but typically she'll want to live with her mother, since daughters like to live with their mothers. The Rambam rules that while a divorced father must provide mezainus to his daughter, the mother has custody rights, even if she's a gadayla. For a boy, a mother can keep him till age six. After age six, a father would get custody rights, since the father is mechuyev in chinuch. The Ravid says the father gets the custody rights to a son at age three. If someone has a lot of cash, he should pay the maskir with cash, since zenehen chaser. What does it hurt you to pay with cash? And that's what people prefer. But if he doesn't pay, even though he has the cash, and zenehen chaser, then we force him to pay with the cash. Why shouldn't he pay him with cash? The Mishnah. An Amana who says, I don't want to leave my dead husband's house, the Yusayimim cannot force her out, and they must give her Mazinus. But if she wants to be with her father, then they can withhold support, since it'll cost them more to upkeep the house alone than it would if they were doing it all together. In that case, they're putter for Mazinus, unless she has a good reason for leaving the house and going to her father. The Ramah in Eben HaEzer, Simon Ayin, Sifyud Beis, paskins that if a wife leaves her husband's home and refuses to feed him, then he's not mechuyiv to provide her with mezainus. The Ramah also says in Simen Sadek Dalad Sifalaf that if a husband dies, the children are mechuyiv to provide her with a house lafik kvayda, as she was used to living before when the husband was alive. But only if as long as it's for her own personal use, not for the purpose of her renting it out to others.
the Gemara. The Almana, she has the right to use their house as she did when they were married. The original husband was married to her. And she can also use all the kalim and all the pillows. As it says in the Ksuba, the Atahe Yozes Bebesi, Kol Yemei Megar Armelusech Bebesi. If the Yusayimim went off and sold the house of the Almana, the sale is not Chal, since she has the full right to have a place to live. We have a Messira that the house of an Almana that collapsed, the Yarshim are not Mechuyev to rebuild it for her. The Gemara says if she leaves the house of the Yusayimim, they are not Mechuyev to continue feeding her, since we say Birchas Habayis Beruba, the more people in a house, the better the house is blessed. Rashi says this means that there are more people, the reason that the house is more blessed is because there's more people to help out now with the chores of the house. Or, because there's more mazel around the house when there's more people. The Rambam says the reason that it's a bracha is because it's cheaper to run a house when there's more people, since there's more people to share in the overall expenses, fixed costs. Rav Huna said that from the words of the Chachamim, one can always find bracha. They can also, from the words of the Chachamim, learn how to be rich. And finally, from the words of the Chachamim, they can learn how to seek refuah. How can, from the words of the Chachamim, we can find bracha? What we just said from the fact about birchas, brachas habayis beruba, that uh, more people in a house, the bigger the bracha. That's what we just mentioned. How can you learn about wealth from the words of the Chachamim? As we learned in the Gemara in Babasra, securing the Kinyanim case, which is brought down here in the Gemara. And finally, refuah, we learn from Sachim, that a person shouldn't chew wheat and put it on a maka on Pesach, since it'll become chametz. But the rest of the year, this is considered a good refuah. When Rebbe was about to die, he told his children, number one, be very careful to give due respect to your mother. Number two, make sure the candle should burn in its place. And number three, the table should be spread in its place. Also, he said, the bed should be set in its place. The Gemara says, the Pasuk of Kabed Esavicha v'yesi mecha. Esavicha comes to include also the father's wife, in other words, the stepmother. B'yesi mecha comes to include a stepfather. The vav, v'yes, kabed esavicha, v'yes imecha, what's the vav for? That comes to be marba l'rabai sachicha hagado, to say that you also have to give cover to your older brother. The rabban explains, the reason for kibud eshes av, in other words, why do you have to give honor to your father's wife, your stepmother, is because of kibud av itself. If they don't respect her, it's like disrespect to the father. The Gemara had said that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, when he was on his deathbed, he told his children to be very careful with their mother's covet. And the Gemara finds it's difficult to understand the necessity for such an instruction. Since the sons are obligated by the Torah to honor their mother anyway, such an instruction seems very superfluous. The Gemara in Kedushin discusses a case where there are conflicting obligations for covet. For example, where a son is his father's teacher. In such a case, the son is mechuyev in his father's honor because of the mitzvah of kibbutz avayim. And the father is mechuyev in the son's honor because of the mitzvah of kibbutz harav, honoring one's teacher. The Gemara does not offer a conclusive psak as to who, whose honor takes precedence. The Rambam maintains that the honor of parents takes precedence over the honor of teachers. He therefore paskins that in a case where the son is his father's teacher, the father does not have to stand up for the son, but the son must accord full honor to the father. The Mepharshim raise a question as, you know, sort of what's the basis for the Rambam's ruling? The Hafla explains that our Gemara is a source for the Rambam's ruling. The Gemara clearly states that it would not be necessary for Rebbe to instruct his children to honor their mother 
as they're mechuyev to do something at Tyre. The Gemara states further that one of the Rebbe's sons was to become the Nasi when Rebbe died, and the other was an exceedingly great Talmud Chacham. Thus, in our Gemara, argues the Hafla, we have a similar case of conflicting obligations of honor, as the son's obligation to honor their mother conflicts with the mother's obligation to honor the son who is Nasi, and the son who is a great Torah scholar. The honor due to the Nasi exceeds the honor due to a teacher. Nevertheless, the Gemara assumes that the obligation to honor one's parent applies even to a Nasi. The Gemara thus clearly indicates that the honor of one's parents takes precedence to the honor of one's teacher. As we've mentioned before, this is quoted from the pamphlet Al-Hadaf, as we numerous, many times do, quote things from that pamphlet. The Gemara says the candle of Rebbe and the table in the bed was to remember his house on Erev Shabbos. Rebbe did not want excessive hespedim in small towns when he died because he didn't want to be matriach everyone. He wanted them to establish a yeshiva after the 30 days of hespedim. The day of Ashkaf to the Rebbe, the day he was nifter, a baskal came out and said anyone who was at his ptira is destined to have a chelek in Olam Haba due to Kavad Atayra. The Shita Mikubetzis brings down that that day that he died was Arab Shabbos and many miracles happened on that day. In fact, a launderer who used to come see him every single day missed a funeral that particular day and committed suicide over his tsar. But a baskal came and said that he'll also go to Olam Haba. Rebbe says that even though Shimon Bani is a Chacham, but since Gamliel is my oldest, he will be the Nasi. He will inherit the Nasius. The Chsam Seifer in Arachayim Simen Yud Beis discusses in a tshuva if there is considered a Din Yerusha by Rabbanus. In other words, today if a father, let's say, is a Rav, and the father is Nifter, is there a Din Yerusha that the son automatically yarshins the Rabbanus? He paskins that there is no Din Yerusha when it comes to Keser Torah. Therefore, the son would not Yarshin, the Rabbanus. Rabbi Chaninen did not want to accept the position of Rosh Hashiva because Rev Ofes was older than him. Later, Levi came to Bavel and they passed him that although it's usher to wear Tachshitim on Shabbos, but a chash of a piece of jewelry, a kalila, is mutter since a woman will not take it off in a Rosh Hashanah to show people. Therefore, we're not chayshis, therefore, she can wear it. After Rev Ofes was nifter, Rabbi Chaninen became the Rosh Hashiva. The Gemara says when a tzaddik is geyser something, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Mekayim, the wishes of the tzaddik. The day that Rabbi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, was nifter, Kedusha became batal. Many people bring a raya from this taisvis brought down here that Kivrei Tzadikim are not metame, so therefore a kayin is mutter to go to a kever of a tzaddik. We don't paskin like this. The Gemara says if a person is nifter on Erev Shabbos, it's a good simon. If he's nifter on Motsai Shabbos, it's a bad simon. If he's nifter on Erevim Kippur, then it's a bad sign, since he didn't have a chance to do kapara, to do um, kapara for the Avainas. If he was nifter on Motsayim Kippur, then it's a good sign, because it was right after he was able to get a kapara. And finally, the Gemara says, when Rebbe was nifter, he gave Shimon, his younger son, the Seder Chachma. To his older son, Rabbi Gamliel, he gave the Sidre Nisius. When Rebbe was nifter, he was mispal, but since he didn't enjoy material pleasures in this world, he should rest in peace in Eilam Haba. And the Malachi Asharas gave him this bracha. When a tzaddik leave this world, leaves this world, three groups of good malachim come to greet him in Shamayim. When a rasha leaves this world, three groups of destructive malachim come to greet him. The next Mishnah. As long as the almana stays by her father's house, she can collect her ksuba forever. But if she stays in her husband's house, she can collect her ksuba 
from the assignment for 25 years. The Gemara. All shiurim of the Chachamim are very precise. When they give a shiur, they mean exactly what they mean. For example, a mikvah, in order for it to be kosher, must be exactly arboim sa. If it's one drop less, then the mikvah is not kosher. The Gemara says that a balchayiv who lent money to a leiva can collect the money even if he doesn't mention the loan or remind him for many years. I.e., non-mention is no indicator that the malva is meichel on the loan. And finally, we say from Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, from the Mishnah, the fact that she could only claim a ksuba for up to 25 years, that's only on the 100-200, the manamasayim. But Taisefis ksuba is a machlaikis if she's meichel after 25 years. This marks the end of this parak. Now let's begin daf kufhei. We'll begin the final parak, parak yud gimel, shnei dainei gzeris. The Mishnah. There were two judges administering justice in Yerushalayim. Hanan said two things. Admain said seven. What were some of these things? If a person goes to Medina Sayyam and his wife claims for Mazinus, she must swear that she never took any Mazinus. According to Hanan, she doesn't need to swear until after the husband dies. And the Gemara says, There were 394 courts in Yerushalayim, plus an equal amount of shuls and yeshivas. The Mishnah refers to judges that were geyser gzeris. It is also to take a bribe, a sheichad, not only from one side, but even from taking a bribe from both sides. However, a dayan can take a salary for payment of his time, i.e. because if he's using up his time to paskin cases, then he doesn't have time to do other work and to earn a parnasa. People who take bribes become blinded by the money that they take. Surely, if a person is a Russia, it blinds him. Rava said, that a bribe is usur even if a person is sincere about a correct judgment, since once a person receives a gift from someone, he becomes a friend of the giver. Rav Papa said that a person should not rule a din Torah for a person he loves or a person he hates. Taisu says, however, one can be an aid, a witness for someone he loves or someone he hates. And finally, the Gemara says, anyone who brings a present to a Talmud Chacham, it's like he's being maybe bikurim.